No credentials. Greatest album. Welcome back. We're glad you've joined us again. And today we're discussing album number 28 on Rolling Stone Magazine's top 500 greatest albums list. This is Voodoo by D'Angelo. seems like with most of these albums that we haven't reviewed before on the new 2020 list, um, they're almost always uh, from a genre that isn't really a sweet spot for us, Mike. And so for most of them so far, we've brought on a guest to help us navigate uh, what what we found here with these with these albums. We're pretty excited to have a return guest. Uh, not too many people have been on and come back again to survive to tell the tale. And so we're really <laughs> excited to welcome back uh, my friend Bob Brown. Bob Brown and I used to be uh, ministers in a small Mennonite uh, conference in mostly Western Pennsylvania. And, and since then, Bob has moved a couple of times, now currently at Cedar Falls Mennonite Church in Iowa. And we're happy to have Bob here. Um, as we mentioned on the Velvet Underground and Nico review, which was all the way back in um, episode, I guess it was our 13th album review on that 2012 list. Um, that album is has fallen slightly to number 23. And um, so you heard Bob's voice on, on that one very briefly on uh, our re-ranking uh, episode for that. And we're excited to have you back, Bob. I know that, that you have spent uh, seasons of your life as a DJ. And I think right. that part of who you are um, will be really interesting as we tackle the, the sweet soul funk rap journey of D'Angelo's voodoo here this evening well good i'm excited yeah i think it, it is related i was definitely part of the uh, music scene and i was part of the music scene in philadelphia at the time that that this album came out so it was uh yeah it has some connection to me beyond just being you know the the way i think i got connected is you you said something about this on facebook and i said oh that's voodoo that's one of my top 10 albums you know that right that's wow. in the top that would be in one of my top 10 i think yeah uh, what was the word for uh, palate cleanser or something you start the meal with? Aperitif, yeah, something yeah, like that? Yeah. I, I was listening to uh, a Questlove interview. Um, he happens to be the drummer on this album, talking about his experience of working with D'Angelo. And he, he referenced a, co- a couple of other albums uh, in sort of his lead up to talking about mm-hmm. this one. He said in um, the late 60s, the Beatles felt tired of the funk that they were in went to the studio to kind of break all the molds and came up with Sgt. Peppers. Um, He said then uh, a decade later, Marvin Gaye wanted to reinvent himself, went into the studio and came up with what's going on. And he said both of those artists thought that they were doing something so far off the beaten track that no one would ever listen to it, but they knew they had to do it. So they did it. And it actually 
became the new normal. It was so uh, well received, despite their efforts to be everything but that, that it became their new normal. And he said that's exactly what voodoo is for him. It's an artist trying to break the mold and discovering kind of gold there in in that process. And I thought, wow, that that gets me excited yeah, to listen yeah. to voodoo. And so hopefully that that's a good uh, a tease. Uh, two albums that um, we've already reviewed here on the Sound Logic podcast. And so uh, a good way to set the table here. Wow, that's great, Ben. Um, <laughs> uh, if you had told me that we were going to have a return guest for this episode and I had to guess from which album, I would not have guessed it was it was the person we had reviewing Velvet Underground's mm-hmm. Velvet Underground and Nico. <laughs> so True. really, really, really uh, contrasting. Yeah, I can't yeah, wait to yeah, talk yeah, about yeah. Um, your connection to this yeah. music as we learned how much you were connected to um, Velvet Underground and Joy Division. Yeah, yeah. Hmm, not Joy Electric. <laughs> Very different. Um, <laughs> I'm really excited to hear your connection to this music as well. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. Should we dive into some details first before we get started, Ben? Yeah, and I think, like, take a deep breath, too, because we just reviewed uh, Wu-Tang Clan's Enter the Wu-Tang 36 Chambers, Mm -hmm. and um, despite some people perhaps lumping these two into the same genre, Uh man, they are different albums. (laughs) Uh, It it is a stark contrast to go from that album into this, and I thought that it would be, and I don't know why... But I thought it would be a bit of a smoother transition. Well, it wasn't. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> and that's not. Negative. Yeah, you just just because you have Method Man on one song, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's it. That's, that's all the, you got. That's the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so uh, Voodoo was released January twenty fifth in the year two thousand. Uh, this is D'Angelo's second studio album, uh, written by, and he gets the primary writing credit from all the tracks except for one uh feel like making love written by eugene mcdaniels and he wrote that for roberta flack uh way back in years before um lots of the artists who joined him are given co-writing credits so um uh, quest love we talked about james poiser who's also in the roots uh, DJ Premier, Q-Tip, Redman, Method Man, and uh, the late trumpeter Roy Hargrove, which was a name I recognized from some of my jazz listening. So lots of other artists also involved. But he is a primary songwriter. And on many of the tracks, uh, Questlove plays drums on some of the tracks, but on a lot of the other tracks, it'll just say all of their instruments, D'Angelo. So he plays drums and other instruments on many of the tracks. Very talented gentleman. I, th- I think it's worth pointing out here, as you say that, Mike, that I, I think my assumption with a very, very little bit I knew about D'Angelo and the style of music was that most of these things would be, most of these uh, instrument sounds would be reproduced with synthesizers and mm-hmm. machines. Yes. And, and what I've been pleasantly surprised to discover is that almost everything on this album was done live in a studio by actual musicians. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> just a very little sampling. And he does, he uh, plays a lot of the instruments and, and I was with you, Ben, I thought that this would be, he was just a vocalist. I don't know much about him. Uh, and uh, that's not the case at all. Yeah. I think at some point on one of the documents you guys had lifted, uh, 
listed Rafael Sadiq as the producer, and I think he actually did the uh, the Brown Sugar album. Okay, um, yeah. And then uh, Questlove was was more involved in production and stuff on this album. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and and Questlove, I mean, that's that's kind of the the signature of the Roots is is live rap, you know, live hip hop. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah, they've been doing that for a long time. But yeah, it's phenomenal. I mean, there's a, there's some videos of uh, the band of 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 D'Angelo performing. I think on like Arsenio, you know, he's got Questlove Questlove on the bass and I mean on the on the drums and then this guy named uh, it's, it's it's weird. This it's this lanky white dude that plays bass for a lot of <laughs> funk, a lot of a lot of the the funk bands in this in this genre. And uh, please say please say Pino Palladino. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> So, so he's. I've got something to say about that later. So but he, he toured. He toured with, with. Oh wow! And uh, and I think he actually was part of some of the live shows for the second, for his third album, uh, D'Angelo and the Vanguard. I forget what it's called. But anyways, yeah. <laughs> I think we could get really nerdy yes. about just the bass and drums on yes. this album, and I think it's um, already happened. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, but we'll save that maybe for when we go through the tracks. <laughs> um, okay, yeah, we'll we'll move through some of this because I can tell we're all pretty excited to talk about the music. Um, so it charted this album charted well, especially in the U.S. It went number one mm-hmm. on Billboard chart, uh, number twenty-one in the U.K. Uh, which is actually interesting because the R&B would have done very well in the UK at that time. But anyways, 21 in the UK, number seven in Canada. Uh, certified, I found, the number I found over 1.7 million copies, which seems low for such a significant album, influential album, but that doesn't always mean anything. Mm-hmm. Um, debuted number one. So first week on the chart, it was number one, and that's unique. Eh? Ben, we don't always see that. We we see them coming up, but to debut at number one is yeah. uh, always impressive. Uh, selling 320,000 copies in the first week, which is like <laughs> crazy, like a fifth of the total sales to date, and spent 33 weeks on the chart. Um, wow. And this, uh, you talked about the previous album, Bob, uh, brown sugar was in 95 it was five years between his first and second albums uh so this evolved over four years of studio sessions it was at electric uh, lady studios mm-hmm. um uh that's new york right guys yes yeah so we're learning about all our studios as we go through Jimmy, all these Jimmy Hendrix's studio that's right that's right um and many many artists have used yes. that Studio, uh, Led Zeppelin, Stevie Wonder, David Bowie, U2, Kanye West, Lady Gaga, many, 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 many more. I think it's really important um, in my very limited understanding to point out the audio engineer, Russell Elevato, um, sort of recorded in mixed voodoo. But I think it was uh, in as much of uh, credit has been given to D'Angelo, I think that his presence as the engineer often... um, played with the sound and the mix and the levels, which is so apparent as you're listening to this album. So even though it's live music, uh, it's almost like there's another artist in the room there with the engineer right. um, playing with the sound. Yeah. Right. I mean, you've got, um, what was it? Martin Hannett with Joy Division, you know, and, you know, yeah, the the fifth Beatle, you know, all this stuff. I mean, the reality is right. who's ever tweaking those knobs has a pretty big impact. I think Rick Rubin was 
in on these sessions too, right? I, was I it really? I saw his name somewhere. I could, I could, that was I could, when you started naming bands and names. That was one that came to my mind, Rick Rubin, just a, well, a very well-known producer and engineer. Yeah. In 2001, so the next year, which is interesting because it came well, it came out very early in 2000, so it wouldn't have been eligible till the next year. Uh, in 2001, Voodoo won a Grammy for a Best R and B Album, uh, which was awarded to D'Angelo and recording engineer Russell Elevato. So there you go. Uh, the song "Untitled," how does it feel? Won for Best Male R and B Vocal Performance. Mm-hmm. And was nominated for best R and B song. So there you go, uh, three nominations with two of those winning. This album has had a, a track record of being appreciated, um, but we should point out too on our journey through this Rolling Stone list that it came in at number four eighty eight on the original wow. two thousand and three list, um, which would have just been a couple of years after the album had been out. Right. But their yeah. re-ranking in 2012 only bumped it up a couple of spots to 481. Um, so it's had a pretty monumental leap from four, yeah. 480s all the way up to the top 30 here. Um, I wonder you know, if that's just a retrospective look. like it, it, it was well-heralded at the time, but perhaps just people weren't quite sure in the, um, you know, 20 years ago whether it would have the staying or lasting power that it actually has. And I think this latest list is a a credit to that. I feel like, and perhaps we'll touch on this later, that this is another one of those albums that made more waves within the industry, having influenced other albums after it, than it did in terms of commercial success at the time. Um, Hmm. And I I could be wrong on that, but I feel like exactly what that um, quote from Questlove, that it kind of changed the game in terms of what everybody was listening to when they went to make music afterwards well and i mean i uh, think when you feel free to challenge me on that no but that's the, what it feels well the, the the two things and we talked about this a little bit when we when we were talking about velvet underground kind of being up so high last time um that there's a super you know there's a super prevalent super lean in the rolling stone list towards male white artists you know it was a pretty mm-hmm. significant lean that way or at least people who had waves more in the white industry, right? So, um, Jimi Hendrix, um, you know, yeah, he he uh, he's recognized as one of the greatest guitarists and all that stuff. He made m- more white people are going to know who Jimi Hendrix is than than D'Angelo too. So there's like a, right. so I think that that's sort yeah. of the renumbering. And you guys may have already talked about some of that too. Um, uh, yeah, the re the new list, the most recent list that came out last year does a lot it's not perfect by any means but it, it, it's trying to make up for <laughs> that error in the past of that white bias uh, and i think that's probably another uh, subtle reason why this is has moved up so significantly yeah. and lastly before we dive into the music here we love to talk about the album artwork um this to me has that some of that 90s vibe <laughs> <laughs> Uh, especially in some of the R&B, if you look at the albums, uh, it's mostly a black and white photo mm-hmm. of our of our front man here um, with no shirt on, mm-hmm. uh, uh, golden cross, well, I guess it's gold, cross necklace. Um, but the writing makes it look like almost like it's a sample 
there's there's some hand handwriting as if to be on a photo mm-hmm. uh, near his arm, just like going like sideways top to bottom, and then there's like a a serial number uh, at the top. So it looks it's it's actually I I've been uh, very vocal about criticizing '90s graphic design in. Uh, <laughs> um, the music we've we've reviewed some of it's just bizarre especially some of those compilations where it's just like i don't know they got a 10 year old to get uh word art or something just weird but this, <laughs> um no this is uh again like i always say please if you're not familiar go google the uh the artwork for voodoo but it's uh i don't know it's got a neat pretty cool vibe the um the the name of the album voodoo and that very stylized i don't know almost medieval style uh like you'd see at medieval times uh, <laughs> uh, the old english yeah old uh, cursed yeah. type but i i really like i think that fits well but d'angelo uh I, I say that with a hard d i don't know if that's wrong d'angelo is in uh block capitals above that almost like the old el paso type mm-hmm. uh font yeah <laughs> so that's yeah. kind of fun. but anyways um i i i think well i don't want to get into it but it's like uh it, it's it's sim- it's like in the video the how does it feel video like that's kind of like the shot here yeah, i mean he's just he's just gorgeous you know what i mean he's just like <laughs> he's just gorgeous no he's dripping yeah. just dripping sex off of those uh off of those pecs you know and um i mean i read one commentary about it over. <laughs> Just saying, like that he he really made a point of, of getting in shape for this, you know. Okay. Um, that was a that was a thing that happened. Um, okay. It was uh, I think it was actually just a Wikipedia page, and it was an interview with uh with Questlove about about the album, and because the the and some people called called Questlove sort of the co-pilot on this album, like he sort of okay. was there flying with him, so to speak, um, mm-hmm. you know, and. Uh, and that makes sense because Questlove has this this ability to sort of bring out a beautiful things, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. um, just his dedication to music, his depth of understanding music, and how they were, you know, digging into these different, you know, Prince albums and and uh, <clears throat> and Sly and the Family Stone albums as they were sort of ramping up to this, you know. Um, but yeah, yeah, he just he totally got you know totally got himself in shape for this on purpose, you know. Wow. It's a bold move to put your credit card number right there on the front of the album. <laughs> I don't know what that is, Ben. <laughs> it looks like a routing <laughs> number on a bank because it's got that whole like yeah. This uh, what what are they used to call that the OCR the OCR font right? This uh, optical yeah. character recognition back when computers needed special help to read things. Yeah. <laughs> now they listen to our oh. conversations and show us ads. You know. But this, <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> You guys, uh, I can almost hear the sound when I look at that. You know the machine they used to take the imprint of the of the credit oh, card and, and onto the yeah onto the <laughs> I, I could hear that and it, like almost feel yeah. it in my and now the new, new credit cards are just they just print the number on the back. It's not even on yeah. the front. It's not on the front anymore. No. Jeez. <laughs> okay, uh, so let's move into the music. Um, I. I, we need to start with you, Bob, and I want to hear about when you first heard this, what that was like. Um, did, did you 
Were you already a fan? Did you know it was coming out? Was there anticipation or did it happen kind of after the fact? Just walk us through how uh, how this became part of your life. On the streets of Philadelphia. Born and raised. No, I, I was not born and raised, but <laughs> I said was. Um, but yeah, I. it's funny because I'm really trying to figure out like how how I started listening to this album. I So when I lived in Philadelphia, I was a... I was a techno DJ, um, but that just sort of puts you in the club scene, you know, in general, you just, right. you're just connected to things and you're connected to, um, you know, you end up going to some hip hop party in a warehouse in December, you know, like you just end up at weird things where, um, where, where incredibly famous people show up out of nowhere. And <laughs> like somehow I ended up getting in to the to the the voodoo tour after party in philly Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> i don't even know i think it might have been my friend from florida which isn't the east coast but that's a different thing um <laughs> but my friend from florida he was a, he was quite the schmoozer and somehow we ended up there and it was just full i mean you had everybody was there i mean like you know there's all these names of philly oh, hip-hop and soul and r&b from that time i mean the roots were kind of at their their creative apex right all the roots were there there's a lady named bahamadia jill scott um was kind of was at this party and like they just all got up and did music you know and i was just a clueless kid that sort of got let in because i knew a couple people um and it was it was a phenomenal night and i don't even know that i'd heard the album before i don't even know that you know i'd heard heard brown sugar because i was kind of his hit prior and maybe i'd heard untitled um from this because i was making waves but and it just sort of moved its way into my life i think there's this there's this thing i always think about too my my one friend my one friend in philadelphia like i don't think three white dudes can talk about this album without talking a little bit about how this race thing works out but like Mm. my one friend from college he married he married a black woman and she i remember distinctly listening to this cd in the car and we were driving out to atlantic city or something and she she was like all right i mean i'm glad i finally heard it you know because that kind of hype that it had and i'm glad i finally heard it but i don't know if it really I don't know if it really lives up to it, you know? And mm. and it was just, for me, kind of holding that, too, because this this is a woman who accidentally loaned me some Stevie Wonder CDs and things that, like, totally woke me up to mm. <laughs> the black music. Um, because all I ever knew was, like, I just called to say I love you kind of stuff, not, um, you know, Musiquarium and, you know, that, that level of Stevie Wonder greatness. And... So it's kind of a wait, waking up time for me to kind of get to know um, black music in a more visceral way. But but voodoo just always hung on. How do I say this as a Mennonite pastor? <laughs> it is really good music to be close to people with. Baby making music. Baby I think making is, uh... music is a term people use. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's wow. The, it's, I love the way that you said that though, because at first I was like, <laughs> "Wait, what does he mean?" Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yes. it's, so it has it has a place 
and some memories for me, you know, just that, uh, that, uh, yep. that way that it lives, you know? And, um, yep. I hear you. But it's, uh, so yeah. And I just, and I also remember the, it may have been my first experience might've been, was the, man, I'm totally dropping names, uh, forgetting names right now. Um, Belly, that was the name of the movie, right? That movie had the devil's pie cut in it. Oh, okay. Um, Belly was, you know, it's a phenomenal movie that I think Nas and somebody else starred in it. And, um, but it was very, you know, it was very much a, a hip hop based movie, but it was about some crime, drugs, changing a life, all that kind of story that always happens in every movie, just from a more black perspective. And, uh, but anyways, it had that devil pie, devil's pie cut. And I think that might've been the one that just got me hooked. Like, oh, because um, that song for me, beyond just having this 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 perfect groove to it, it also has these very prophetic words. Um, so it was like that 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 kind of one two punch of that song sort of sucked me in. If I if I had to pinpoint it, um, that was probably the place where I was like, I think I need to check this out some more. You know, interesting. Um, but there's all these kind of things that connect me to it. You know, from the from the after yeah. party to the, um, to, to to like listening to it with 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 a black woman who has way deeper understanding of black music than I will ever have. To, um, you know, to the, to movies to all that stuff. So it's 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 a convoluted story, but that's that may be part of why it's in my top ten. But I th- I think also the the music on its own um, can merit that too. Right. I think we need convoluted stories to like have <laughs> albums resonate sometimes, right? Like, I mean, I think one of the one of the joys of this podcast journey we were just um, reflecting on the other day is that the stories that people have told have almost always made us appreciate the albums far more than just our solo listening experience before that. Like, I think there's something about lived experience around music that changes. Yeah your depth of, of enjoyment and appreciation and, and experience and, and makes it lasting in a way that music in a vacuum doesn't always yeah. uh, hold up. Kind of like religion that way, I yeah, guess. Yeah. You need some people to <laughs> be along for the ride. Prince talks about his, his songs as children. Mm. Um, and there's yeah. sort of this understanding that they go on to live lives without you, you know, Yeah. in that. It's like people... They, they live in my life differently than they live in D'Angelo's life or they live in somebody else's life. Hmm. Um, in addition to, you know, somebody goes and covers it. The song now exists. Um, hmm. Yeah. I can't remember if it's Amy Mann. I think it's Amy Mann who says like, when people ask her, what does this song mean? She's, she responds by saying, what do you think it means? And <laughs> people get really, really annoyed by that, but it's almost this like, uh, you know, it, it's totally up to you as the listener to like, to explain, explain it to me. And, um, uh, you know, maybe that's a little bit, uh, artist snobby there, but also I think there's some truth in that too. Right. Like, um, I, I found myself realizing as I was listening to this album and this is getting dangerously close to talking about the music. So sorry, Mike, I'm, I'm jumping the gun a little bit on this, but we're we're getting there. (laughs) I think I can listen to this album completely disconnected from its lyrics and just savor the uh stereo sound that i'm wrapped up in yeah 
I can also pour deeply into the message of the lyrics. I can also like really stop and listen to each instrument and get kind of geeky about yeah. the, the music. There, it, there's a whole lot of different ways to engage this album in particular. Um, feels perhaps on the far end of the spectrum for all of the music we've listened to so far in, in, in that regard. Uh, and I don't, I can't quite exactly put my finger on why this one feels that way compared to all the other great music we've, we've talked about so far, but maybe we'll get there by the end of this episode. Moving on to kind of, uh, we've heard Bob's connection. There are many connections to it. Mm-hmm. Ben, was this totally new to you? Have you heard any of it before? Um, <laughs> I think it's pretty much totally new. I bet yeah. with 32 million Spotify plays, I bet How Does It Feel has been in my ears at some point in my life. Right. Um, and there, there's a familiarity to it that makes me think it's been a part of some playlist in my life at some point. But, but no, I, I've never intentionally sat down and listened to this album. There are artists that um, I now realize in sort of hindsight uh, <laughs> that I have enjoyed in the past who were borrowing heavily from this. I, I think yeah. about, well, Remy Shand is a, an artist who's come Oof. up a number of times, <laughs> a, a Canadian um, sort of oh, man. Uh, funk uh, R&B artist who only made one album, who you know is basically a straight rip of this kind of sound from the the slow wandering bass to the very intentional hi-hat and, and things like that. Um, I get a lot of Alicia Keys vibes when I listen to this and um, I was really into her for a moment in time. Um, so, so it feels like I've known this music, even though I've never ever sat down and intentionally listened to it until we started getting closer to this album. It sounds a little bit like my connection with Velvet Underground that came through joy division you know it was like yeah right i knew this yeah. music because yep i had experienced people who had yeah <laughs> who had been so touched by it. yeah yep that's yep. right no ben my experience is similar to yours i never listened to this album i don't think i knew any of the songs i there is one that i'll get into a little later that i was familiar with but not necessarily because of the song <laughs> itself um and I'm I'm hearing the influence, and one of the things as I was listening to this album, I kept thinking about um, another album we reviewed recently, and one song in particular, uh, "These Walls" by uh, Kendrick Lamar from "To Pimp a Butterfly." Uh, I kept thinking about that and how that sounds so familiar to some, especially some of the songs on this album that have a bit more of a, a quicker tempo. Mm-hmm. I thought, man, I can really hear how some of those tracks on that album uh, the Butterfly album where he is taking less of a hip hop and more of an R&B approach how you can hear the influence of this style all over that and I'm sure countless others between you know 2000 and 2015 but it's amazing when you hear something that came before all of a sudden your eyes are eyes and ears and your mind is open to oh wow I've yeah I've heard this all over the place <laughs> And but this is where it came from, yeah. Not that he was the first, but I mean, like he did. This it was a, a, you know, a bit of a game changer and an evolution of uh, the neo soul movement. 
Bob, can you give us some insight into just how unique this sounded at the time? Like, I think I hear this now. I, I heard one reviewer um, in a YouTube video I was watching today say that a marker of a great album is that you create something that feels like it changes music and that it's always existed, that it's got a timeless mm -hmm. quality, even in its sort of boundary pushing way. I think 20 years past this, I listen to this and think that's just really, really well, well made, good, soulful, funky R and B and nothing. I don't, I don't hear it's um, like genre bending explosiveness Right. Uh, in the same way that I think it was heard 20 years ago. Um, can you, can you talk at all about how that felt as someone who heard it much closer to its publication? I think there was, I think the word I was using was just loose, you know, mm -hmm. a appropriately loose, like on purpose. There was actually a video I heard with Questlove um, talking about playing the drums on this album. And he said, D'Angelo just wanted him to go so slow and like just totally off tempo. And they just sort of ignored the metronome. And like it was just this sort of intentional sloppiness. Yeah, he said he'd actually put the metronome on and be like, Okay, now now play a half step behind it and get slower as you go. Yeah, and when and when he would do that, he'd stop him and be like, "No, no, that's too. You're too close to actually doing what I said. Can you play it a little drunker?" Like, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like, yeah, I think you like, saw the same interviews I did. Yeah, that's crazy. Like, I can't imagine being as technically proficient as Questlove and being told like, "No, man, you're too, you're too good." Like mess it up a bit more for me right here. and i mean that's the thing like you bring out the roots and they're just they are tight right yeah. and you bring out james brown's band and they're tight and you bring out prince's band and they're tight right and this was like no 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 intentionally sloppy but somehow make it sound really intentional and put together and polished too well, there like, you go. That's I, don't, why I don't know how those two things are possible <laughs> i don't know i mean maybe that's maybe that's why i'm 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 doing this one and, and the Velvet Underground and Nico, you know, just the kind of the, <laughs> yeah. the earthy, gritty, you know, visceralness of it. I mean, just mm. every time that that um, the Devil's Pie bass line just pops in, you know, and it's just like, it's just so thick and it just pulls you in and it takes up all the space, right? Um, it doesn't take up a lot of space. You're, I was thinking that yeah. too when I was listening to it. Yeah, the, yeah. the he, and it's and he sort of steals that from hip hop, right? I mean, that's like right, and and that's where I mean, I, I, for me, Devil's Pie. I mean, and, and DJ Premier has been there for like a lot of crazy. He's he's done some very creative things. You know, I'm looking at the track list, and it, it shows that he was one of the producers. For, mm -hmm. for Devil's Pie and that, that record did come out like a little bit that was the first single I'm seeing per Wikipedia but we all know that's full of mainstream media's lies but um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway sorry sorry that's, uh, that's, uh, that's not I shouldn't go down that, that road the um, but it's just like this this kind of 
hip hop with him singing over it, but it makes sense, you know? Like you don't yeah. you don't think like, oh, it's hip hop with R and B singer on it. Because like that happened a million times in the nineties, right? Right. No, yeah. this is like a thing. And and I I yeah. So I don't know. I, we're, we're getting towards talking about songs individually, um, also, uh, because I'm like, oh, and that's and that's and, that's, and uh, but yeah, I just think there's this, this intentional sloppiness of in, incredibly talented musicians, right? It's not mm-hmm. it's not an accident for Questlove to play off tempo, <laughs> right? Right. No, it's 100 percent on purpose, and um, I mean, it literally took some arm twisting, right? So it's really. Uh, there's the there's just the and there's a sort of envelopingness of it too. It's not it's not the the beautiful you know arrangements and the um, yeah it's a comfy couch. You know what I mean? It's yeah. So I, I don't know. Those are the things I think of that that like you said. I don't think that really I don't think that that existed as much. You know? Yeah. Well, because it doesn't it doesn't make sense on paper, right? Like if you told your producer, we're going to make it it sound sloppy and really polished, they would have like laughed probably and said, no, go, go back and do it the right way. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking a little bit of like <clears throat> the Alison Krauss, Robert Plant album, um, Raising Stan, Raising right? Who was, the, yeah. who was the producer for that? T-Bone Burnett. Right. I mean, like, I don't know. I think that he might have been listening to Angelo. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> it's just got this this thickness to it. You know, this, this, yep. this ugh, you know, melt into, you know, melt into the couch kind of feel. But with some grittiness. Yeah. I think you're the first person, Bob, who's ever mentioned that album to me without me bringing it up first. Well, there you go. <laughs> I really appreciate that. <laughs> Well, it's uh, there's like, something special. I mean, I appreciate T Bone Burnett on some other stuff. I think we did one of um one of Mavis Staples albums and stuff, but the uh, yeah. we'll never go back. But I mean, but there's something about that out al- that that Raising Sand album. It's just, and I think it has that. I think it has a, a similar atmosphere to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I it's so interesting you brought that up, and I wasn't thinking about that at all. But uh, one of my general comments about this album is it is so chill, yeah. like super, super chill. And what you said about it being loose, like when, when, when people say tight, I think sometimes I think people say tight and they don't know what it means. They just mean that it sounds good or that everything's mm-hmm. but tight means like like really, really closely knit. Yeah. Uh, notes and just everything is fits very, very well together. But this, even though it's sounds great and nothing feels like an accident, it is so, so loose. Mm-hmm. Everything just slides in together. Mm-hmm. It, um, it's like a, a newer way. Of, I know that swing is a technical term, but to say in the 50s or 60s, or 70s, you know, it really swings, which does mean something. Yeah in terms of the way you play it this is just so so loose and it feels so comfortable and that album as well the raising sand like if if you if you want energy to go clean the house or go jogging like that is not the album you're gonna put on i put that album on when i want to just absolutely melt into the chair or the couch and it is super 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 chill like you know i got that i got 
um, Kirby Hancock's uh, River the Joni Letters. You know, I put on those albums if I want to just disappear. Um, anyways, wow, that's a rabbit trail. I didn't think um, But yeah, just so, so chill. There's some things about this album, though, that I, again, in, maybe this is another way that it broke the mold a little bit, but I don't expect, I don't really expect the explicit lyric sticker to be on something that's just so chill and laid back. Um, maybe for some uh, sexual suggestiveness, but there's like, there's like actually real, uh, I don't know, aggressive mm-hmm. societal uh, rapping here, especially yeah. in the first three tracks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To, to sort of get that mixed in with this like baby making music feels mm-hmm. like again another thing that a pr- producer would have said that doesn't belong here d'angelo like yeah. go back and do it again no, it's funny, yeah, like, somehow it works when you when when yeah. i would put this on for for the baby making music portion i would generally <laughs> start at track four so yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. I, yeah i mean i you know i really appreciate what method man and red man bring to the track but I don't feel like it's going to, you know, <laughs> yeah. enhance the situation. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah. Oh, wow. Um, well, since, we're, I mean, we're, we're getting there. Do you want to talk about some of our favorite songs? Uh, Bob, you've talked, you've talked about a few already. A Devil's Pie is one that really hooked you in. Um, I, I would, I would put that in one of my top 10 songs too. I mean, Oh, wow. Albums, you know, albums and songs, right? Uh, different things, but like that song is just the prophetic nature of it. The 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 bass, like I love a good bass line, and that's definitely not. I mean, with DJ Premier on it, we, right? We're not talking about a live drum. Um, it's got that. I think Premier was is kind of an MPC guy, so he would uh, be using samples and stuff. But it's just got this kind of just the. the <clears throat> the way that the kick and snare hi-hat thing going on, I mean, that's it. And then and then that bass line, and then just these beautiful little twittery, you know, moog, moogish noises blipping around over top of it. Um, and, and it's just phenomenal to have, you know, these lyrics about, you know, ain't no justice, just us, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Time has come for most of us to choose in which God we trust. Um, just so you know, I'm, I I literally know the lyrics to that back and forth <laughs> off the top of my head. I'm not reading those on the screen. Uh, ben Ben reached out to me the other day, and I just literally spontaneously quoted "Devil's Pie." Um, um, yeah, uh, watch us all stand in line for a slice of the devil's pie. I mean, it's just this beautiful commentary on uh, music industry, on uh, places where we just want to be so popular and we give up so much to do it um yeah i mean it's just it, it's it's the whole package you know it's it's the lyrics that speak to the consumerism that's just such a struggle for our american human humanity and uh and uh, and then also just amazing uh you know baseline and beat that yeah so so that's that, that's definitely my favorite song if i would pick one that would be it but I, there's way there's way more I would you know <laughs> it's yeah. not complete by just that but yeah that's that's the one that if I just took one but it doesn't fit I feel like in some ways it doesn't fit the album you know it's a little different isn't it like it's got something extra yeah 
it's a, it, it is special but yeah I, I found having listened through it a few times come back to it and go yeah I do like this but you know it, it does feel a little different from the rest yeah and like I said I mean DJ Premier is going to be using you know it, it's funny I, I since I did enough production when I was DJ and, and producing like I'm, I'm kind of second guessing I'm thinking maybe DJ Premier was using an SP12 and not an MPC um just based on the sonic quality of the kicks, hi-hats, and snares. But anyways, um, <laughs> but that's, I mean, that's absolutely it. It's going to be produced in a different room with different people. Yeah. Um, so it is going to not have the vibe. And I think 4 through 13 all kind of happen in that same space with most of the same people, you know? There is an aggressiveness to those first three tracks. Yes. Yeah. I feel yes. like a better transition from... Um, <laughs> Wu Tang, which we just tackled, yeah, uh, yeah. easing us into the the second half of the album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and I feel a huge shift from track three to four, like just finishing yeah. left and right, which is fairly explicit, um, and then into the immediate vo- beautiful vocal harmonies for the line. It's like it's kind of shocking, um, but then it, it moves into it. Uh, ben, was, was there a song that that jumped out to you right away? On a first listen, um, <clears throat> yeah, uh, one Mojin, one Mojin is the one that, like, I, I don't, I don't know. I think especially listening to it with headphones on, like, w- what did you say, Bob? Like, a easing into a comfy couch, yeah, 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 yeah. like, a, like a hot tub or something yeah. like that. You just yeah. like start to feel this, like, <laughs> that's more like it. <laughs> slow pace, just like kind of wrap you and. Uh, well, I guess one more gin also would make you feel that way too if you just kept yeah. having class. Well, I think it might but... also be one more again, like one one more time, like one more again. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. I don't know. But yeah, it could also be one more. I'd have to, I was assumed there's one more again. One more again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, and I think also by that point, that's the fourth song in this kind of, this this space, you know? Yep. And you're yep. just kind of like, yeah. You're deeper in the couch by that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I don't know why that one stands out. I think that's got some um, keyboard sounds, the walking bass too, that that takes me back to some of those other artists that I mentioned uh, from my from my youth. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for me, uh, I was. Sometimes it's hard to find the sp- the time to to really. I I, I love list- I ah, I don't like listening to it the first time if I don't. If I'm not confident, I can listen to the whole thing in yeah, one go. Yeah, yeah. So um, I remember one of the first time I was at work doing some computer work. Like, okay, I think I'll be able to listen to most of this uninterrupted. And I was just going along, and I was doing some work, and I had it going in the background. I was really enjoying it. And I got to the ninth track, a Spanish Joint, and I just kind of stopped, and I was like, "Woo!" And when the when the beat kicked in. I was like, because I could feel it was a bit, a bit of a Latin feel to it, obviously, um, but just the the rhythm of the piano starting and the guitars, but then the beat kicked in. That is a that's a really neat track. Uh-huh. That one really that one jumped out to me the most on first listen. I just kind of stopped what I was doing and just listened to it. It was like, oh, this is neat. And again, it's one that's like just slightly you know, different feel, obviously slightly different than the rest of the album, but still fits in very well. But it's just another uh, special surprise yeah. as I listen through it. That that I think. I don't know if it's my favorite, but I think it's the one that surprised me the most. I really like it. I I think because there is 
like I said before, so many different ways to listen to this album. Um, <clears throat> I don't know that I feel the same uh, track uh, differentiation that I do some other times. Like I think, I think this is a this is an album for me to just maybe <laughs> maybe it's best to skip to track four, but to just press play and have it on. Um, and to just kind of enjoy the ride, it feels somewhat different to me than, um, you know, when I put on a Beatles record and I'm like, oh, this song is next. Great. You know, I love this song. Uh, it, it doesn't feel as necessary for me to be anticipating what comes next because they're all that kind of like comfy couch kind of vibe. Like it, it, yeah. it, it gives yeah. a, it, it makes me feel something while I'm listening to it rather than craving the next track for its standoutness <laughs> if that makes I, any sense no i got that sense too there were individual tracks that i enjoyed but yes. the whole sense of the album i got I, I felt like when i pushed play after hearing a few times it was like i was expecting the feel of the whole album and yeah. not oh, i can't wait till we get to track nine because i really like that one although that's true it's the whole thing i was like well i know what i'm gonna getting now because there's this whole vibe yeah, no, I, I, it's one of my f- my favorite moment on the album. That you know, I, was, I played I played the song. It's on the untitled "How Does How Does It Feel" moment. Um, is how it ends. Oh, like, and I know that makes some people really mad because it just stops. Mm-hmm. It just yep. stops. And I'm I'm to the point now that I know this album well enough that I know when it's going to stop, right? I know, right? I know this. Um, but the stopping, as brutal as it is, as it leaves me present to what was there. Does that make sense? <laughs> like, it's so jarring. Yeah, instead of it fading out, I'm like, oh, yeah. Like I can really, you know, it's like, I don't know. I'm trying to. I'm trying to compare. It's like when you eat the last M and M and you don't realize it was the last M and M. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Right. You just. It's just. There's something so, like, you want to know that it's the last, and you feel it fading out, and they're like, "No, like it's just done." That yeah. thing that you were just so completely enraptured in, it's over, and it went away, and there's. We and we barely even had any reverb on when we ended it. So there. <laughs> I think that it's a an interesting thing in our sort of technology space that we occupy right now. Where when I'm streaming something, or when I'm listening uh, via Bluetooth on my phone, if if I hear a drop like that, I assume that the internet has <laughs> cut out <laughs> in some way, or or my headphones have failed me, and um, <laughs> or you didn't download you know, the, the the audio correctly to right, your right. media player. Yeah. So um, to then have the next track jump in, it is like this. Whoa! What just happened there? Like I I've checked my device a couple times this week, me like too. wondering <laughs> if there was an error, <laughs> and uh, and to know that it was intentional, I think. Oh wow! Is another era when you know there wasn't going to be that technological hip, hiccup. Maybe if your CD player got bumped, that might be uh, enough to make something skip. Yeah, it reminded me of um, 
on Abbey Road, uh, she's so heavy. Oh yeah. And at the end of side one, and it, it's like right in the middle of the of the phrase, just yeah, gone. <laughs> um, I, I'm kind of surprised the yeah. album doesn't end there. I yeah, that'd be, that'd be an interesting sort of cliffhanger ending to to do it that way. But yeah, I'd be mad. I'd be mad then. Like I, I don't know. I something. That. Africa's is. You need bad. another Eminem to magically appear at the bottom. Wait, 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 wait! Like, oh, they're gone. No, here you go. Here you go. Here's. here's one. And like Africa just has that perfect sort of riding off in the sunset sort of feel. Yeah. The last song sort of has that wonderful. It gives you that last Eminem. Yeah, it totally does. It's like, oh, okay, okay, okay. I get it. Another Eminem. Here it is. One thing that you kind of mentioned something earlier, Bob, and. Um, uh, it's somewhere in the first few tracks, but I remember listening to it thinking, man, there's something about the groove and the bass. It sounds very familiar, and I can't place it. Then I was listening to it the other day. It might have been earlier today, and I thought, ah, there's something here that reminds me about John Mayer's Continuum album, and I'm not sure why. And then I was looking up some of the personnel today, and I thought, you've got to be kidding me that Pino Palladino was playing bass on the tracks I was listening to, and he is the bass player on John Mayer's Continuum album. <laughs> um, well, there you go. Uh, and it's amazing how those, you know, like how many thousands of people are studio artists who play bass or guitar or piano, yet some of them have such a unique signature way of playing. Yeah. Um, like at, on that same Continuum album, Steve Jordan plays drums on most of the tracks, and I've heard other songs in jazz and R&B and gone, well, that sounds like a, a Steve Jordan kit or groove. And I'll look it up and sure enough, like they have these same quest love, like you'll hear these little things or this, this, this slight nuance and yeah. go, huh, that's familiar. So I was kind of, it was a total fluke cause I just something that came to mind, but that he's a great bassist. Ben, you might remember when we were, uh, uh, the who did like, uh, had a DVD back in the, early 2000s we were watching with our buddy steve and um after john entwistle passed away uh, pino paladino subbed in for uh to play bass Mm on uh the who when they toured so he's he's well traveled um i i did want to talk about i mean we got it we have to (laughs) i told you i was familiar with one song but not really for the song uh but i i've mentioned before on the podcast that in the late 2000s and when i wasn't quite as social as i was near the end of high school i watched a whole lot of music videos like many hours every day and i remember (laughs) when the music video for untitled was was out um and so i when we started listening to this song and i saw the album cover i was like oh i remember that (laughs) i remember that for sure uh so i I found the video again and i remember very distinctly i probably never got through the whole video when i was a kid or a a teen for two reasons number one (laughs) it wasn't really my style of music Uh like we've talked about um like around the same era when uh uh, Lauren Hill came out with the Miseducation album and X Factor. I had, as a 16 year old white boy from like rural Ontario, I had no time for X Factor, <laughs> even though like I thought some of the other stuff on the album was cool. 
and now I listen to it and like I can't believe it because it's such an amazing song. Um, and same with this for Untitled. I had no time for the music, but <laughs> I think that I was so uncomfortable <laughs> with the music video. I couldn't, I couldn't get through all of it. I was like, like either, ew, I don't want to see that, or I shouldn't be looking at that, or like <laughs> I just. It was one of the reasons uh, you didn't get through it because you turned it off because your mom walked in. <laughs> um, I don't know if I was afraid of that or not, I, I, but I, I, I think if I felt that was going to happen, I yeah, probably would have been a reason. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, it's overtly sexual. So, yeah. And I mean, uh, okay, I'll, t- I'll tell you another funny story. So, so tonight I was just preparing and uh, my son came over and I was just listening to the, I just had Spotify up. He said, what, what are you reviewing tonight? I said, uh, Voodoo by D'Angelo, and I said, uh, I looked at my wife and I said, "Hey, Nora, do you remember that uh, Untitled video from this album?" And she slowly looked up at me and gave me this look, like, <laughs> "You, you know, I remember it, and don't make me comment on it right now." When my son's here. <laughs> it said everything, and I, and I, she kind of just looked at me and then looked down, back down to what she was working on, and I walked away. She said. Uh, I think that music video was an awakening for many of my peers and I. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, it's... Uh, but what you said when we were talking about the cover, like, he definitely... I Some people have... Are, are born with an amazing body. Yes. And, and just, like, they don't have to work for it. I just kind of assumed that that, that was his case. No. Um, until you mentioned that he... He very intentionally sculpted his body for for this album, and I mean, he he did a very good job. Uh, <laughs> that. And, and so I, I did watch the video again tonight, and I was like, again, a little nervous that one of my kids would come in. <laughs> because it's not like it's not obscene, but it is extremely sexual. Yeah. Um, you know, and and it's not it's not even like explicit in any way, really. Yeah, um, it's not, you know, like, but but it is very very sexual, um, and I could see that it, <laughs> I could see why it was uh, probably highly viewed. All <laughs> awakenings for your yes. for your for your wife and her com- compatriots. I don't know if that's the right word. I well, I didn't. Um, I haven't followed that up with any questions as to what exactly that means, but I <laughs> I've got a few assumptions. I don't know. <laughs> I mean. There's this idea of being openly black, right? We can talk about being openly gay, right? Um, My friends and I in Philly, we would joke about how certain people were openly black, you know? And, like, his cover is openly black. And I think his, you know, there's no, like, hey, I really hope you white folk like this. You know, there's none of that. Like, hey, I'm, like, I'm going to come out. I'm going to have my, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to have my hair braided. I'm going to. Uh, uh, this is a black this is a beautiful black body um you know this is a gold chain because that's what we do and like there's something sort of unapologetically black about the video as well in the fact that it's it's yes. just like hey we're not i'm not hiding nothing you know no 
Um, no, it's 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 totally embracing black sexuality mm-hmm. uh, as as weird like as ignorantly as I can talk about that. Um, and yeah. just and just before right. you, just as you started talking, I was thinking about our conversation with our friend Daryl Foster, uh, and we talked about sexuality in um, uh, Kendrick Lamar's "To Pimp a Butterfly," and he said he talked about this idea of reclaiming black sexuality uh, for for so much of the african-american experience through mm-hmm. the history mm-hmm. of america it, it wasn't something that they owned at mm-hmm. all right. it was something that was taken from them was held captive from them and then it was uh when they got it back a bit it was policed mm-hmm. and uh, uh that was something that you know i i didn't know much about and he uh, yeah. Darryl really helped us understand it more and i think this does that as well reclaims that uh sexuality it says no i'm not going to be ashamed mm-hmm uh, about this mm-hmm. and to to display what again exactly what you said what a beautiful black uh, male body looks like I, I totally agree with you yeah. and I th- and I think it makes a huge statement having it on the cover and having that um, that video and then you see a lot of black artists I mean they've always done it but um, you see that coming in 2000s and guys like 50 cent um, and other people just uh, sculpting yeah. creating building. Uh, that image. I'm going to make my second reference to Marvin Gaye's What's Going On. I guess Questlove really mm-hmm. made the first one um, at the beginning of our episode, but I remember thinking about that album co- cover, which I think has been held up as like, this is a black man leaning into being powerful. Um, mm-hmm. And at a time, you know, like much of American history where uh, you know, there's negativity around being black. He was leaning in and saying, "No, um, we are strong. We are powerful. Look at me. I am. I am strong and powerful." And I, I think I get that vibe when I, when I, you know, take a look at that video or the album cover. You know, this is a person saying, "I am powerful um, despite my blackness, or perhaps because of my blackness." And mm-hmm. um, yeah. You know, for me, as I, I spent time in Indianapolis, I spent time uh, kind of waking waking up, I guess. I mean, I spent time in Philadelphia with coming from, yeah, a small town in, in northeast Ohio that, you know, was pre- predominantly white. So I, you know, me, <clears throat> you know, I can't talk about this album and my time in Philadelphia without, you know, acknowledging that, that disconnect I had uh, from black music and, and black culture and um, you know, I started to learn about black culture in Philly and a little bit, you know, and um, learn more. And I, there's this really crazy thing, and I, I think it's related, but, you know, the there's this thing that the white white folk, we we kind of have this understanding that, like, being black is really hard. You know, would you really, sometimes we, we can fall in the trap of thinking like, you know, wouldn't it be much easier to just be white, you know? Mm-hmm. Like the experience of people of color can be so difficult in our country, you know? Wouldn't you just, wouldn't it be easier, you know? And, but the reality is, there is a richness in black culture 
and a depth from the level of perseverance that they have had to hold on to that that makes things so much more than we could imagine, you know? Right. And it it's a white supremacy that gives that sense to us of like, oh, I'm sorry you have to be black, right? right. Like that's right. and even that's and, the, the screwed yeah. up. Yeah, and even like amazing, you know, anti-racist work people kind of use that to help people realize that racism is a thing, you know? Mm. They're like, you wouldn't you wouldn't really want to be black, would you? You know? Um like I've heard that as a way for people to just kind of recognize racism as a reality in their heads, even though they don't anyways. Yeah. But yeah, it's like it's it's out of the struggle and the freedom, right? That like white supremacy creates a little creates a cage for us too, and it denies us yeah. richness of life that we we don't have. Yeah. And and I I feel like in some ways I've been able to sort of vicariously live into the richness of of the lives of black people who who um, who have shared their art this way, you know. Mm-hmm. Well said. <clears throat> Boy, that feels like a just amen moment, and maybe we should uh, call it a night. But <laughs> I guess we also need to wrap up this review. Yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't really expect this album to go quite this way, this review. This is wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, good. yeah that, wow. I don't know how to follow that up. But, um, did, did anybody else think that some of the the effects on his vocal were a little interesting. Was it, is it chicken? You know, like I really, like I was listening to it again and I love chicken grease, right? Like I just love that little like, you know, that little light rhythm guitar. And then that big thump comes, you know, and, but his voice, he's like singing through a, through a radio or, you know, same thing happens. That's the place where I notice it the most. I just want a little more to handle yeah. in that one. You know, like I just want to, because they sort of tin canned them out, you know, like they sort of. Yeah, they, they, it seems they're experimenting with that a few different places. And there's a time and place for that, but his voice is so damn good. <laughs> um, it's like it, he had, it, I was, I knew he was a good vocalist. Yeah, like, yeah. I knew that somehow. But listening through this album and some of the moments, I, even on Untitled, some of the some of the performances, yeah. things he does there, it's just like, wow, he he is an exceptional vocalist. His his range on the upper level is insane. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, um, I I think that's why you need to point to the sound engineering and production as part of the blend uh, of this album because I think I think that's the those those people in at the the massive soundboard are playing their instrument as well and at times are taking his voice and i think they're even their songs where like several different effects are used as he yeah. moves through uh, verse or chorus and um it's really fascinating i can't decide if i like them or not always yeah. like especially because especially because his voice is so good like i don't i don't feel a need to tamper with it at all uh so i just found it was an interesting choice i'm not saying i don't like it i just it especially yeah chicken grease like it, it kind of it just 
kind of pops out like, oh, that's yeah. that's an interesting yeah. voice. But even even then, it doesn't it doesn't ruin the song or the sound for me. It's just kind of found it interesting. Did, did you know that Prince had this like little plan because you know he had too too much creativity for his own good to start <laughs> recording as like a woman and he would he was going to create this whole character of a woman uh like instead of you know just giving tracks to sheila e and vanity six and everything and he was gonna like just speed it up somehow i don't know i'm just i'm fascinated by that i'm also thinking of like like there there's certain songs of princes that echo deeper in the black community than they do in the white community there's a song called if i was your if i was your girlfriend and like that one just pops up everywhere there's sort of this reference to it and he sort of pitches up his voice and he's like if i was your girlfriend would you let me would you let me uh comb your hair and he's like would you uh you know if i i mean i'm I'm not i'm not like this isn't sexual i just want to be your girlfriend you know like um but it's just it's this theme that i see pop up like Q-Tip references it in one of his songs, and like it's sort of this. I'm trying to remember who else does it, but there's sort of these these echoes that happen, um, and and I think that like the messing with an amazing vocal is like something Prince did a lot, you know. So that's, I guess that's why I go there, um, you know, because yeah, I mean, there's not not many people who, you know, not many voices that could compare with Prince. Um, Prince's like range and control and all that yeah. stuff, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? And he still did weird stuff with it. <laughs> yeah, I don't like. I don't. I really just wanted a little more D'Angelo and Chicken Goose, you know? Like, <laughs> so that was the one spot where it noted where I noticed it as a detriment. <laughs> but the rest of it, it just kind of felt like because yeah, they would they would expand the voice out with chorus or flange of some sort, you know? And he, you know, and he'd be singing three or four times like. Um, doom, 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 doom. What's the song that starts out with that bass line? Doom, 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 doom. Set it on the line. There it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, yeah. yeah, so there's like, you know, like six or eight D'Angelo's doing backing vocals. And yeah, and they all have different, yeah, different effects. <laughs> yeah. Bob, something we, we started doing after we had you on. Uh-huh. Previously, it was we created a Spotify playlist, so now we get our guests to pick uh, two songs that we can put uh, on that playlist. We put two songs from every album we review. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. if you could pick two, which two tracks would you pick for us to? <laughs> well, I mean, you guys already know this one's gonna be Devil's Pie. Devil's yep. Pie, yeah. And then um, I think one more again. Yeah, I think that's Ooh. it. I wouldn't put. Because I mean, there's a I don't know. It just sort of it just rolls in there, you know. Yeah. So it's hard. Like I really love Chicken Grease, but yeah, that vocal. And then the root. Uh, anyways, yeah, let's go one more again, and uh, you know, do do it quick before uh, he has a chance to change his mind. <laughs> They're there now. You can go find them today. Yep. We talked about this already. Kind of some of the influence over the last 20 years but so the question is today is this album still relevant um let's start with you bob what do you think now you're not you're not a dj right now but you still you still have ears and listen mm. to music <laughs> so well, what do you think and you know what's strange is you know as a 
as our church does worship during COVID times, we've actually been listening to a really wide variety of music. Okay. Um, we actually did Chance the Rapper. Are you ready for, for your blessing? Um, oh, wow. And it just, you know, it's stuff that, you know, it wouldn't make any sense at all mm-hmm. for us to, like, watch a TV video when we're all sitting together, right? Um, <laughs> so I'm just, I'm, re- I'm reassessing this idea of sort of DJing and relevance of music right now. Um, it's just good music. I, I think it's just, it stands a class, it stands the test of time, whether you're thinking about, like, songs in the key of life or, right, it's... There's a disjointedness to it because because it's those first three songs like I that's my real struggle like I mean you could have almost put it out as you know tracks four through thirteen and and like it would have been like this more com- this more homogenized yeah right it would have made more sense as an album. Well, like, yeah, I wonder if it needed those first three to, you know, with the the guest vocalist to draw people in initially, or like what the choice know. was to do that. So make a statement up front and then ease into that warm bath for the rest well, of the album. <laughs> part of it was like Devil's Pie was 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 part of that that movie Belly, and it came out in you know a year. It was a leading single. You know what I mean? Okay. Like it was out like yeah. six months. Or something before the album. It's like a year, almost a year and a half. Yeah, so it kind of pulled people in, and and then you got Method Man and Rap Man. So so then you've got like people like oh okay, <laughs> if if the if the Wu Tang's good with it. Um, so you've just got this kind of thing that they that that kind of pulls people. I don't know. I I don't know if it would be. It's it's. Yeah, I think it's relevant, and I'm just kind of understanding like as it stands and kind of the, the the land of great albums this one feels more disjointed than than any other song i would put in my top 20 album any other album i put in my top 20 albums you know interesting just because of that first the first three it sounds like an ep plus an album you know yeah. yeah right yeah i don't know it's because I th- when i think album i think like okay it makes there's a certain flow and a sense from start to finish but this one doesn't doesn't want to work that way either though yeah hmm. so i don't know I, I think i think it is i think it's very relevant i think um but yeah i mean if, you know do i listen to it do i listen to it once a month anymore no but like it's it's still an important album. Yeah. You know, I still come back to it. I think for me, um, I often think about this question in terms of does the sound of the album still feel like it fits with what's oh, yeah. coming out today? And, and absolutely it does. Mm-hmm. And I think because of its influence, I, I don't think you would be surprised if an album sounding like this came out tomorrow. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It doesn't no. sound particularly no. like it's with with maybe some of the mixing, I don't know, might might point it to late '90s, early 2000s, but but um, it's really really well done from that standpoint. And I guess partially because it's only uh, 20 years old, it doesn't feel dated yeah. yet. The same way, maybe it's also because I'm getting older and 
I still probably think that music sounds like it sounded like when I was a teenager, but um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's definitely still relevant. And I think um, it's been helpful to go through this conversation tonight and to go down a bit of a rabbit hole on uh, Wikipedia and, and YouTube just to hear about its impact in the industry too. So I, mm. I resonate a lot with what you're saying, Bob, from a personal perspective, those first three tracks are a bit of a head scratcher in terms of how it fits. But um, yeah, we let the Beatles get away with throwing a random sitar track on their yeah, great album. Yeah, so yeah. We may as well let him do his thing up front on this one too. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's almost would make more sense if they were sort of worked in. I don't know. Like, yeah. The, yeah. That's the true. Beatles. If they were like every other song, something like that. Right. 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 If these three songs yeah. were just mixed in with the other, with the other nine, like you wouldn't even think about it. But, I, yeah. I think at a time, you know, in the you know, 2000, the technological advancements of, you know, what, what computers could do, what, what, uh, sampling and processing could do, uh, things could be shared so quickly over the internet in production that we saw synthesized music, uh, programmed music really taking leaps and bounds. Mm -hmm. So to hear all these organic acoustic instruments, I think a lot of genres moved away from that for a while, but then you hear a lot of genres in the last five to 10 years, really coming back to that mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and having a lot more of that. So I think it fits in well with a lot of the music we have now. And I think we're going to, when we get out of this COVID thing, uh, don't, don't be surprised to see the live music scene explode <laughs> because people are are starving uh for live music people maybe there will be people who weren't quite old enough to go to a concert and yeah. now are a couple years removed who get to go and experience a live band for the first time to hear some of this stuff on this album played live with real people playing real instruments mm -hmm. <laughs> there are some kids who who don't know what that is right now mm -hmm. Yeah, not just because of COVID. I mean, in general, because so much of the music is like it's not like think about you know someone like Billie Eilish. Like they yeah. they do it all, they did it all uh, on a laptop in their apartment. Yeah, you know, and there's a lot of music that's like that. But I think a lot of the instrumentation here is still so similar. Like you hear, you know, we hear the Roots every night. Um, yeah, with Jimmy Fallon, and that feel is still very, very relevant. Maybe it's a little more watered down, a little more mainstream, but it's, it's there. Right. So I think, I think it's very relevant. I totally agree with what you said, Ben, if this album dropped tomorrow, I think it would still be popular yeah. because I think that it's so accessible, so chill. Um, the, like some of the, the rapping I think would still fit in. I, I, yeah, I think if it still fits in very well. It doesn't sound dated to me. Um, a lot of things we said, you know, it's relevant, but you can tell exactly where it came from. This, I don't know if I could. If I had, if I didn't know what year it came out of, I think I'd struggle with saying like, what well, could maybe it was maybe it was early '90s, uh, but not too early because then it would have sounded weird. Um, maybe it was closer to 2010. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I think that that's yeah. a testament to how well it does kind of just fit in very well. Yeah. No, and I think, I think what's interesting too, is the, the, the songs that we keep sort of pushing on the first three and even, even play a player. 
isn't as much a part of those three, you know, um, first of all. But, like, those two songs have a more dated feeling to them, you know? Mm. Um, you know, there's a certain style of rapping that's changed, right? Wu-Tang, yeah. Wu-Tang kind of Red Man stuff uh, had a certain feel to it, a certain vibe to it, and a certain time to it that what, that that's not how, right? That's not how people rap anymore. So like, it's sort of like some of those songs, on, the first three songs have, have a more, t- uh, a more dated, not in a bad way, but a more, you know, it's a more obvious time frame. Yeah. I don't know. Well, what about its place on the list? And so, and this is so interesting because such a huge jump. Yeah. From the last list, the last two versions, like such a, like, that's very <laughs> one intentional and impressive. Yeah, I think it's been a while since we had that conversation as our sort of, uh, intro into our relaunch but i think this was on our list of albums that moved the the most on the this oh new yeah ranking no i think i think it was i think it was the biggest mover um well i'll we'll go in reverse order i'll go first uh i feel like i need to i still want to know more about specifically how it is influenced in the last 20 years um i I do hear it i I hear it on different things but i think like that's the piece that i'm missing for truly understanding why this is like the number 28 greatest album yeah yeah because that feels a little high especially based on where it was and especially based on some of the other albums of a similar genre that have moved up that were extremely influential uh, like uh, the Kanye album we talked about, um, uh, Lauren's uh, Miseducation album, uh, but I think I think that's just the piece that I'm a little ignorant on mm-hmm. is that how much it influenced the music that's come in the last 20 years since it was released. Mm-hmm. Uh, other than that, like it, it's because it's not as commercially successful as some of the other ones. It's not like well, it's, it also sold you know 15 million copies, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But there's got to be another piece there. And I think that because this list was, again, a bunch of people in the industry who voted, if that's if that's true uh, and if they're being transparent on how it was created, then that then this is something that many people have said. This has influenced me. People who are making music right now saying this is an album that really influenced me or was a big part of. Uh, of my life so that's got to be the piece that i don't have uh, so i i'm okay with it here I, I again i don't understand it totally but but i don't really have problem with it what about you bob i i mean i've, I've got to say i'm a little clueless on some of the ranking uh you know like you guys eat poop and breathe the ranking right? <laughs> like the, that's like a very that's like the the premise of this right so um, it sure is, but yeah, I think it seems a little high on the on the on the scale of things. I mean, I think, like I said, I, I mean, I've said I put it in my it would it would be in the contention for my top top ten albums and definitely in my top twenty, um, just because of the 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 role is you know how much it's been a part of my life. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's one I've gone back to and gone back to, but that yeah, but that's different than than the whole, you know, the whole of popular music, you know, how, how, you know, I probably see it being more in the forties, thirties, forties, fifties. Um, yeah. 
you know, just based on, you know, some of the albums I'm thinking about that, that were, you know, even, even other black music. But I do think that there's a revolutionariness to this. Um, and something changed, you know. Hmm. There was something that was done different, and I don't think, I don't, I don't know if us white white boys will be able to fully grasp it either, you know. Right. Yeah, I, I remember um, when we did that re-ranking episode, and I did find my notes. <clears throat> um, it was the one that climbed the most spots, uh, up right. four hundred and fifty-three spots. <clears throat> we're we're about to get to one. Amy Winehouse's "Back to Black" jumped 418 spots. It moved up the third highest. Oh. So we we've got another one coming up here soon that we'll have to compare this to. But I remember in our conversation with Josh from the RS500 project, I I lamented with him that um, I was a bit uncomfortable at how little of the new music and and high risers. Uh, were showing on this list and and he said that's a good thing ben you know you're a privileged white guy to have a bunch of music you're not familiar with i think is a sign of shifting culture and and it's great to have new stuff there for this privileged white guy to to get uncomfortable with it so um yeah i think it's the i think it's the the discomfort of like this is not my sweet spot that makes me think that should probably get bumped down a little bit but i I'm also fairly ignorant. And so I think, uh, it, you know, who am I to suggest that, that it doesn't deserve to be here? Um, I'm really curious as we continue on through this list, if that changes for me. No, this is now an album that I've heard and an album that I really enjoy. I'm curious how it holds up, Mike, when you and I do our re-rankings. And I'm curious, you know, where we tuck it, uh, if it makes any of us, e- either of our top 10 lists and, um, how, how it stacks up there as well. So yeah, I'm, right. I'm glad to be on this journey and I guess that's sort of a cop out. I guess I'm saying I'm fine with it here. Cause I, I don't know if I'm wrong about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I also saw, uh, and this may be going, I may be going out of order, but that, that the other two, both of D'Angelo's other albums were in the top, were in this 500 list now. Mm-hmm. That's right. And that, that, that's usually, you're right on. You're right on schedule there, Bob, because hey. that's the next thing we uh, <laughs> we always talk about. Yeah, we get to talk about uh, D'Angelo two more times. Uh, 1995's Brown Sugar, uh, his debut album, comes in at 183, and then um, his album with uh, D'Angelo and the Vanguard, uh, Black Messiah, from 2014, that comes in at 395. Not bad. Those are his only three albums to date, right? So. Yeah. He, um, 100%, he got 100% of his albums on this list. And those other two were not on the the original list. So right. um, they're both additions with this new 2020 list. Well, Brown Sugar wasn't on it. No. Oh, wow. Cool. That's great. So that's an even that's an even higher jump. You know, it's like it's like dividing by zero. It could be. Even... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Huh. <clears throat> Any other comments before we sign off here, Bob? This is your chance to say whatever you want about anything. <laughs> no, like I said, I, I think it's a, a um, um, it's it's fun to kind of recount. I, it took me a little moment to sort of remember, like how did this come into my life? And uh, yeah, like like I said, for me, it's very much connected to my time in Philadelphia and my uh, kind of 
beginning my awakenings about uh, about black culture and mm. um and so it's just you know for for us to for for us three white dudes to talk about it, it was you know it just sort of has that yeah sort of taste of something that's that that isn't familiar to us that we didn't grow up with you know and it's but yeah it's it's just been a really rich rich album for me you know that i've i've you know gone back to over i mean what it came out a day de- two 20 years ago so yeah yeah and any episode that gets us um reflecting on white supremacy and our own participation in that i think is a is a great episode so <laughs> thanks for leading us there and thanks for um for joining us on this journey this evening it's been yeah. a real privilege yeah no you're, you're welcome it was, it was good to be good to good to talk music uh, good to talk to you too it's it's good connecting with you too i appreciate it yeah it was it was, it was great bob thanks again for joining us yeah. um Ben, what we got coming up next time? Uh, we're making a transition here to an album that we have already reviewed, but it has fallen slightly on the list. We're going to be talking about uh, the Beatles by the Beatles, uh, colloquially known as the White Album. Um, this is uh, a Beatles album. We usually agree on all the Beatles albums, but this is one we don't really agree on. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to our little pre-show uh, reflection here coming up because um, I'm sure we'll have some things to say as we talk about this move in the rankings. Yeah, I don't know why you don't like this album. It's so good. <laughs> hey, now. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're really pleased that you would join us listening at home. And we hope you'll join us again next time. Until then, please be well, be safe. And we'll talk to you again on the SoundLogic Podcast. Take care. If you like what you hear, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and write a review. Send us a message at our Facebook page, on Instagram, or through our SoundLogic Podcast Twitter feed. Thanks for listening.